You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and its select theaters. Rated R. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Is there something in the river? I was just thinking the only thing that's missing right now is a giant crocodile. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland, it's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Talk. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. I'm Dr. Karen Stolznow. There are many stories about giant crocodiles. And of course, there are urban legends about alligators in the sewers, and even a movie about that. When I saw the new movie Rampage featured a giant crocodile, of sorts, I thought it would be fun to do the sort of Neil deGrasse Tyson shtick and throw science at what's obviously a silly popcorn movie premise. But when we got on the call with our crocodile expert, we were having so much fun, and I was learning so much, that I ended up pushing out the movie questions towards the end of the interview. Oh well, I hope you don't mind. This interview goes into some wild places, and by the end, I couldn't help but think it would be delightful to have Paul Willis and Ken Fader at a cocktail party together. Maybe we'll manage that someday. But for now, let's get to the Monster Talk. Associate Professor Paul Willis is a paleontologist, science communicator, and former director of the Royal Institution of Australia. He has a PhD from the University of New South Wales, for which he studied the fossils of crocodiles and other reptiles. He's published eight books on dinosaurs, rocks, and fossils, and he's well-known in Australia as a reporter from the ABC TV shows Catalyst and Quantum, and from the radio station Triple J. I now have my own company, Media Engagement Services, and cool. we specialize in teaching researchers how to communicate their research stories online. That's fantastic. Uh, Americans are more than welcome to uh, partake of my services. Uh, if they just go to my website, they can find out how. Cool. That'd be great. We can put that okay. in the show notes too. So. so Paul's here with us today to chat about crocodiles. Welcome, Paul. How you doing? <laughs> 
G'day. Good. I haven't seen you in about 20 years, I think. No, it, it has been quite a while, hasn't it? And you've it defected to the, uh, to the United States. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure the wisdom of that particular move there, Karen. Oh, no. <laughs> it, it was okay 15 years ago. When life presents opportunities, you should take them, most definitely. Indeed. So just to begin with, how did you develop an interest in crocodiles and fossils? Uh, well, there's, there's two different interests there. Um, and I like to say that with fossils, I was probably preordained to become a paleontologist. Uh, my mum and dad, when they were on their honeymoon, um, picked up a, a stone uh, and they kept it as a keepsake. They thought it was a a rock that a fisherman had been using as a weight and that the patterns on it are where, where ropes had worn into the surface of the stone. Uh, it wasn't until I was a teenager that I pointed out to them that uh, this was actually a fossil sea urchin. Uh, and uh, being on their honeymoon, contrary to popular opinion, it was several years before I was born. Uh, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I found my first fossil when I was six years old. And mum and dad can't recall a time when I wasn't talking about trains and dinosaurs and fossils. So uh, my interest in fossils you know, goes back to before before I was even a, a zygote. Um, so, you know, uh, I think that's uh, quite literally in my DNA. But when it comes to crocodiles, uh, why did I take up crocodiles? I got to the end of my PH, uh, my undergraduate years at Sydney University. And uh, I wanted to go on and do uh, uh, further studies, uh, possibly a PhD. And so I swapped over to the University of New South Wales. And uh, my supervisor, Mike Archer, said, well, is there a group of animals that you'd like to work on? And I said, well, I've, I've always wanted to work on dinosaurs. And he said, well, I haven't got any dinosaurs, but... I've got a whole load of crocodiles that no one's ever looked at. Would you be willing to work on crocodiles? And it was love at first sight. Uh, Mm. So that's why I got into crocodiles. Um, At that stage, within two weeks of starting to study Australia's fossil crocodiles, I was the world expert in Australia's fossil crocodiles. It's it's my one of my tips for anyone uh, a career in anything. If you want to be outstanding in your field. Pick an empty one. Uh, and so I, um, I uh, spent many years uh, working on crocodiles from Australia. And what, what uh, the upshot of my PhD was that there was actually a whole group of crocodiles that only lived in Australia uh, through the last, uh, more or less since the, the end of the dinosaurs. Uh, and they all went extinct uh, within the last... 10,000 years or so. And that group of of crocodiles, because they were isolated here uh, and because there were various ecological niches that weren't occupied by other creatures, they actually diversified out and took on other body forms so that we, like, because there were no goannas in Australia, uh, there was one group uh, of crocodiles that I looked at and I described, and they took on the job of, of goannas. So, uh, you know, a, a maximum adult size was maybe uh, two metres at most in length. 
Um, they had the, the small box-like head that you get in the Guiana rather than that flattened typical crocodile head. Uh, they may have even been climbing trees because the, the musculature on the arms uh, seems to have been parallel evolved uh, to, to match that of, of goannas. So, you know, just this remarkable suite of crocodiles that really ruled Australia for 50-odd million years uh, and then disappeared uh, when the, with the collapse of the megafauna over the last 10, 20,000 years. Well, if they could climb trees, I'm glad they're gone. <laughs> well, look, no, I, I, I think they would have made lovely pets because, you know, they, they were small. They didn't have um, that big head full of teeth that crocodiles normally have. And okay. uh, I, I think they would be quite cute to have as a pet. You know, if, you, if you're not worried about goannas uh, running up and down trees, then you'd have no problems with these crocodiles. It's not like the, they weren't dry. Rocks. It's not as if they were leaping out of the trees on unsuspecting passers-by or anything. Um, like uh, I don't think that, <laughs> Yeah, no, that 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 that's uh, wouldn't have happened. But you know, down on the ground, there was another group of um, of crocodiles that I worked on within this group. The, the the name of the whole group of crocodiles that I worked on were called the uh, the Miko Sukini, and uh, one group of the Miko Sukini. Um, they uh, developed very similar f um, features to carnivorous dinosaurs, and that's because they were actually hunting on land. They weren't hunting in water. And so you see serrate blade-like teeth, which are good for lacerating, which if you're a terrestrial predator, you need to be able to kill your prey more effectively than just having peg-like teeth to hold it underwater and drown it, uh, as you see in normal crocodiles. Uh, and those terrestrial crocodiles, now they would have been something to worry about because we've got evidence that they were getting up to six metres long. So wow. if you can imagine wow. the difficulty you'd have uh, being chased down by a six metre long um, hyper goanna, then, uh, then that, that's, that's when you're starting to talk about crocodiles that you would you, call, sir, and that Crocodile Dundee and uh, and Steve Irwin, uh, they would shit their pants, to be quite honest. <laughs> so for, for American listeners who may not know what a goanna is, uh, can you describe those? Yeah, goannas are big lizards. Uh, they are, they're known as monitor lizards in, um, in Africa. Um, do you get monitors in the United States? I don't think you do. I don't think so. Probably, uh, probably the closest thing would be like a Gila monster, I guess. Uh, and that's not really yeah, that close. Yeah, which is actually, no, that's a different group of lizards yeah. altogether. But uh, if you think of the monitor lizards of Africa, goannas in Australia, they're all the same group. They're called the Varanidae or the Varanids. Um, and uh, the, uh, the largest is the Komodo dragon. Uh, and that gets up to, I think, about three meters in length three or four metres in length. Um, and uh, in Australia, we've got goannas that get up to two metres in length. Um, so, you know, they're, 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 they're pretty safe, providing you don't go and mess about with them because they can give you a nasty bite that uh, can put you in hospital. Yeah. So, wow, that is... I, you know, one time I, I was in Bahrain uh, for a couple of years in the Navy, and 
I went through, uh, I used to ride my bike out in the desert, uh, and I went through a, a, a dry uh, creek bed, and there were all these holes in the walls of the side of the creek bed, and these peculiar lizards came out. And these things were maybe a foot and a half, two foot long, so less than a meter. And But they, they were very territorial, and they came out and hissed at me, and they had this peculiar body style where they looked kind of like a mixture between a turtle and a lizard. They had very sharp beaks on the front of their heads. I should look up and see what that was. But um, I just was it the Mongolian deathworm? No, 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 no. They're they're just a native lizard of, of Bahrain, but they were very territorial and they did not care that this fat sailor on a bicycle was riding through their. They wanted me to leave, and I I got the message. So yeah. uh, it, it was you know you know there, there's some beautiful stories, uh, <laughs> beautiful stories, rather hideous stories uh, around the Komodo dragon. Um, they have a similar sort of habit. They they tend to dig holes in in riverbanks, uh, and you know uh, uh, the Komodo dragon would have no trouble taking down an adult human being. They're, they are big, big lizards, uh, and they're not scared of anything. And there is a wonderful story of a German photographer who decided to put his head into one of those burrows, and he didn't pull his head back out. It remained in the burrow. Ow. It was cleaned by a Komodo dragon. Uh, I, I don't know the veracity of that story, but that's one of the stories that's going around about Komodo dragons. Yeah. Could be true. This one, uh, they, they, hmm. it, it, it was something similar to something called a Euromastix, which is uh, an Egyptian spiny-tailed lizard. They have a spiny tail hmm. and a very beak-like mouth. They're very peculiar. But I guess my point was, even a small lizard with a territorial nature can be horrifying. Um you know, in America, oh. we have we have some crocodiles, but mostly we have uh, alligators, and uh, yeah. I don't find them quite as frightening as crocodiles. I don't, I don't know why. Maybe it's because they don't seem as and, mean. And 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 if uh, alligators are notoriously much quieter and more sedate than than saltwater uh, than saltwater crocodiles in particular, but crocodiles tend to be more aggressive. Uh, it's interesting if you look at a lot of the publicity shots of Steve Irwin when he's holding uh, a crocodile, it's usually an alligator. Um, and, you know, <laughs> oh. if, you're, if, if you're holding a, uh, a four foot long alligator, it's like holding a four foot long sack of spuds. You know, they're pretty docile creatures. If you're, if you're holding on to a four foot long crocodile, particularly a salty, um, you are in a life and death struggle just to <laughs> maintain your grip on that thing because it's out to kill you. Wow. Yeah. Well, that leads to two other questions that we've got. Uh, I guess um, one of them is what are some of the, the other differences between alligators and crocodiles? Well, alligators and crocodiles uh, as, a, as a group, they, they separated uh, about 80-odd million years ago, you know, way back in uh, towards the end of the uh, age of the dinosaurs. Um, so, you know, you, you talk about them having at least 160 million years evolutionary dif distance because, you know, mm -hmm. you've got to go down the evolutionary tree to the point they disappeared and then back up the other branch. So, so they are actually separated by quite a sizable distance. They, because they're doing a, a very similar sort of job, they've maintained a very similar sort of body shape. You know, this is the, the phenomena of parallel or convergent evolution. If you think of a um, Tasmanian wolf, which is marsupial, 
uh, and the, uh, the the northern hemisphere's wolf, which is a placental mammal, they look very similar, but they've come from completely different evolutionary perspectives. They look similar because they're doing the same job. Same with a tuna, a shark, and a dolphin. You know, it's it's that phenomena. So they've been very conservative in their overall shape. Uh, and to be honest, there's not a lot of difference that um, many people can spot that is actually will tell you whether you're looking at a crocodile or an alligator. Uh, alligator snouts tend to be flatter and they tend to have a U shape. They don't tend to have, or in fact, they don't have a notch in the side of the snout where a large tooth, the fourth mandibular—sorry, uh, yeah, the fourth mandibular tooth from the lower jaw um, uh, in crocodiles, it fits into a notch on the outside of the jaw, whereas in alligators, it fits into a pit on the inside of the jaw. So you don't have that notch in alligators, uh, and also alligators, the front set of the top set of teeth come down on the outside of the lower set of teeth. So when uh, an alligator's got its mouth closed, you can only see the teeth from the upper jaw. You can't see the teeth from the lower jaw. Whereas in a crocodile, the teeth te uh, interdigitate. So when its mouth is closed, you can see teeth from the lower jaw in the uh, when, when the mouth is closed. Um, but, you know, apart from that, there's not really many other things that uh, people can spot and say, ah, oh, that's a crocodile, that's an alligator, um, because they've just been so conservative in their evolution. We, we've had previous chats with evolutionary biologists about the uh, the way that the body morphology changes over time in some species. And when a creature doesn't change over time, that doesn't mean evolution's not happening. But I, I noticed that like people see, talk about crocodiles as being... Um, like ancient throwbacks and that they haven't really changed over history. Is that true? Or, or are we just as modern like viewers who aren't crocodile experts, are we just not able to see the differences? Or how, how similar are these ancient crocodiles? Uh, this this uh, uh, cuts in on the question of living fossils, you know, and, and really that's, that's such a, a, a dumb attitude, to be honest. We're all living fossils. We, we all carry around genes that go back to uh, to the bacteria that first appeared on the Earth 3.8 billion years ago. You know, I mean, um, what's usually meant by that term living fossil is something that hasn't outwardly changed much. And you're dead right, you know, crocodiles and alligators outwardly don't look that different from what they did 80 million years ago when they separated from each other. If you do take a close look uh, inside, evolution has still been going on. The DNA has been changing at a rate that, you know, we can still measure 80 million years of difference between the two, or sorry, 160 million years of evolution between the two. So the DNA still is ticking over. We do see um, differences in, in morphology and shape and you know, the species of crocodile that we have around today are not the species that they were 80 million years ago. So uh, the oldest living species of crocodilian, that's uh, crocodiles, alligators, and the gharial from India, uh, the oldest is actually the saltwater or the Asian Pacific uh, crocodile. And we've got fossils of that going back about 
two million years, which is quite a long time for any individual species. So, uh, you know, if, if you go back beyond that, then the species of crocodile that you're looking at might look similar, might, might outwardly look identical to uh, crocodiles and alligators that you can find today, but they're not the same species. It's not the same species that's been conserved over that time. That's cool. Did Thank you. Do you have a, a follow-up or? No, no, that, that was actually, I, I thought that was probably the answer, but I just wanted to verify. I, it just seemed to me like, it, it kind of comes up with things like coelacanth, where it, it's considered to be a living fossil. And you just, if you study evolution, it suggests that there's going to be massive, you know, molecular changes over time, even if it sort of has a, a, a selective pressure to keep the same body shape. But that's such yeah. a, uh, a, a, it's a nuance that I don't think the majority of people who aren't biologists are aware of. You know, the, uh, the, uh, the, the concept of living fossil is, even in the case of the coelacanth, is probably still misapplied because the species of coelacanth that we see now are not the same species that we see in the fossil record. when uh, They disappear from the fossil record back in the Cretaceous. Um, and it's not the same species. So, you know, I, I still am not comfortable with talking about coelacanths as being uh, living fossils. If there is one species that I'd say is a living fossil, that's the Australian lungfish, because the same species, uh, Neoceratidus, oh, I can't remember the other bit of its binomial, but it's the same species that is alive in Queensland today as we find as opal fossils that are 110 million year old in uh, Lightning Ridge. So uh, oh. that, that, that I'd say is a living fossil because it is the same species. We cannot pick the difference between the fossils and the living species. So I, I think we need to be a bit more careful when we bandy around that term living fossil. I agree. Ah, Neoceratidus fosteri. It's consuming. There you go. <laughs> we we do have lizards who care about uh, binomial nomenclature. That is true. So <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> Unfortunately, no one has enough listeners who care about binomial nomenclature. So good on you. We we might. <laughs> so Paul, can you tell us a little bit about this? Is general question, but a bit about the biology and behaviour of crocodiles. Uh, generally, you know, uh, these days, most crocodiles, uh, and alligators fall into pretty much one of two different types, uh, ecomorphs as we call them. Um, you've got the, uh, ambush predator, uh, which is your broad snouted kinds of crocodiles and alligators. Uh, they are specialists in being able to hide a big animal in a small puddle of water. And uh, probably everybody's seen the, uh, the the footage of, you know, there's a bunch of wildebeest quietly drinking at the water's edge. And then in the middle of the screen, you as the viewer do not see it, but in the middle of the screen, there is a crocodile that will leap up and take down a, a full-size adult wildebeest. Uh, if you've got a 20-foot-long puddle of water um, that's uh, only a foot deep, you can hide an 18-foot-long crocodile in that. Uh, you know, so that, 
that's that's their their trick is uh, being able to remain hidden and await in ambush of their prey. The other type of crocodile are fish-eating crocodiles, and they have a much longer, thinner snout. And so you see things like the freshwater crocodile of Australia, uh, the false gabiel from Southeast Asia, um, the gabiel in India. Uh, These have... long snouts with lots of very sharp teeth and the ability to uh, actually uh, close their mouths very rapidly underwater. That's the point of these snouts being long and thin and with lots of teeth, is that uh, you only have to open your mouth a little bit underwater um, in order for the far end of it to have a sizable gap where a fish can swim into it. Uh, and then you can, because you don't have a lot of um, uh, reverse hydrostatic pressure when you try and close your mouth because you've got a long, thin snout, not a broad snout, you can quickly close your mouth underwater and you can eat that um, that fish or you can catch that fish. So those are the two broad lifestyles that we see in crocodiles. And really, it's the only difference between them is from the neck up. Uh, from the neck back, there's, they're pretty much exactly the same uh, in overall shape and, and, uh, and business. So, uh, yeah, th- those are the two forms of crocodile. Uh, the ones that you have to watch. Uh, I say the ones you have to watch out for are the ambush predator types. They're the ones that, uh, that uh, have been known to take humans uh, as well as other prey. But, um, <clears throat> but, uh, the, the comment has been made, if you actually had the choice between being bitten by a freshwater crocodile and a saltwater crocodile, um, you would actually choose to be bitten by a salty uh, because the problem with a, when, when you're bitten by one of these piscivorous, one of these fish-eating crocodiles, is the teeth are so long and slender that what they do, uh, they're, they're brought with such pressure to bear when they, when they actually bite that the tip of the tooth actually kills the flesh that you bite into deep within the wound. So uh, you've not only got a lot of these teeth, but the death that's caused by those teeth uh, of, of tissue is deep within the wound. And a lot of people who've been treated for a crocodile bite um, the person treating them hasn't realized that there's all this necrotic tissue deep in the wound, and they've just sealed the wound up, and later on that bite goes gangrenous and yeah. you lose that limb. Wow. Um, so wow. the, the first thing you need to do with any crocodile bite is to debridle the wound. So you actually open it up and cut out all of that necrotic tissue um, before you close it up. And that problem is much worse if you're bitten by a uh, fish-eating crocodile than if you're bitten by a, uh, a broad-snouted, generous crocodile. The, the, uh, you call the... My advice is don't get bitten by a crocodile anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, the, the, is it the, the gavial, I, I've heard them called gharials, the, uh, the, yeah. these Indian fish-eating crocodiles. Their, their snouts look so fragile, but I, I'm guessing they actually can deliver a pretty good bite force. Well, yes, uh, certainly enough bite force to get through a fish. That's all I need to do. 
Um, but it's, it, but it, you, you're right. The form of that snout means that it's probably not capable of taking something more hard-bodied. Um, so you don't get them taking cattle or uh, or humans because um, the bite force would uh, be, you know, could be strong enough to actually damage that snout. Yeah, but even my puppy can tear into my flesh, so I imagine a crocodile could do a pretty good job. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, but, uh, you know, part of part of the problem there is that. Um, while your puppy has got teeth that that are actually made to tear flesh, crocodiles don't have that. Crocodiles just have these peg-like teeth which can hang on to you. Um, and so the way they kill is to hang on to you and drown you, essentially. Um, to dismember you, they have to do this thing called the death roll, where they or, or they do the shake, where they literally, you know, I've seen full uh, fully grown kangaroos shaken so violently that they literally fall apart that's how they dismember their prey wow. they don't have cutting and tearing teeth you know so crocodile Dundee's speech about how crocodiles take you is actually accurate i don't know if you remember that yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah yeah he wasn't trying to eat me on the spot he just wanted to grab a hold of me and take me down for a death roll a death roll yeah yeah see a croc will grab you take you down to the bottom of the water and roll you over and over and over until you stop kicking and take your way to his meat safe somewhere. Rock ledge, log, down under the water, jam you under it, tenderise you a bit, good eating. Yeah, anyway, he wasn't happy with the grip he had on me, so he let go to get a better one, and I talked him out of it. And do they really store bodies underwater to soften them up a little bit? Uh, that has been recorded. That wow. has been recorded, but it. Uh, but at the same time, there are other cases where you know uh, that they will eat something as soon as they've got it. If 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 it's, if it's small enough, or if they can break it down into small enough pieces to swallow, they would much rather swallow it when they can. I might throw because, that audio uh, in here. That might be funny to put that little clip in there where he talks about that. That's that's cool though. I mean, it's cool as long as you're not the yeah. one being eaten. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Of course, Paul has seen Crocodile Dundee. Yeah. We have to see it in school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it, you, you guys have the Pledge of Allegiance in school. We have to watch Crocodile Dundee. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but talking about uh, not getting bitten, when I go back home and uh, when my, my husband comes with me uh, and we go to Sydney and we go to see my mum in the Sunshine Coast, my husband's petrified that crocodiles are going to leap out of lakes uh, or ponds or wherever we are. So yeah, my well, question don't, is... Don't, don't tell him that he's safe. <laughs> Keep him I, on I edge. Haven't. <laughs> I, I haven't. <laughs> but for our, for our listeners, and, and he, he, he's probably not going to listen to this episode, I think it will be too frightening for him, um, but how close to, to civilization do crocodiles get? Well, not very. I mean, the the, the the dangerous crocodiles really are only found uh, in the northern part of Australia. Um, and, 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 you know, when you talk about not being bitten, there's, there's simple things you can do to avoid being bitten by a crocodile or being eaten by a crocodile. You know, don't go near the water if there's crocodiles about. 
I've I've actually been uh, at uh, river crossings in the Northern Territory where the signs that are up saying, do not enter the water, crocodiles here, people have used them as a towel rack while I go for a swim. Well, as far as I'm concerned, they're just croc bait. And, you know, that that's the Darwin uh, effect coming in. The sooner we lose those people, the better. Um, and the, the, another study uh, that was done some time back actually found um, it, it was cheekily put that uh, crocodiles uh, have an ability to detect alcohol in people because when they went through <laughs> and, and, and checked the blood alcohol of people who'd been killed by crocodiles – they, you know, invariably they were drunk. They were drunk as skunks. Mm. Um, and, of course, it's not that crocodiles can detect drunk people. It's that drunk people do stupid things like go for a swim in crocodile-infested water. Mm. So, again, you know, as far as I'm concerned, that they're actually doing humanity a service by taking those people out of the gene pool. Well, to be fair now, from, from a Darwinistic perspective, if they've already had kids, this doesn't really work. You have to throw the kids in, too. Yeah, but, you know. <laughs> this is getting too yeah, dark. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to end, this, I this just say, interesting strict, like, strictly an from an evolutionary perspective, genetics. sorry, your father was got drunk and swam with a crocodile. <laughs> you got to go into it. We've got to get this out of the system. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd be interested in mandating that. I think that's a, a you know, positive effect for humanity. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Well, so you so I guess you're talking about specifically in Australia, but I in uh, in Egypt, for example. I mean, the Egyptian civilization rose up on the Nile, and the Nile is full of crocodiles. But my understanding is that actually, at least in in northern Africa, the hippo is actually more dangerous than the crocodile for people. Yeah, yeah. Well, of course, the most dangerous cro uh, animal in Africa is the mosquito. Um, but then I think second is uh, the hippo, and third is the is the the Nile crocodile. Uh, particularly in the southern part of Africa, not so much in the northern part of Africa. You don't get many uh, people. To, I, I don't know why. Um, one, one of my interesting uh, uh, pieces of trivia about crocodiles in, in ancient Egypt was that apparently um, uh, it was Egyptian holistic medicine or whatever, traditional medicine, um, that women would use crocodile dung pessaries as a, a form of contraception. And um, I, it was certainly I'm stopped me from sure. reproducing. <laughs> exactly. I think, I think that's how it worked. It was a case of if you were about to line up for it, it was like, oh, I'm not going to go near that. <laughs> well, I, I, think, I think we just earned our explicit tag for this episode. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I'm dying. Well, you I, should have, have I should have warned you. <laughs> <laughs> but that does lead me to ask if crocodiles are prized in any way today for uh, alternative medicine in any country. If you know. Oh, I don't know, and I hope not. Um, uh, you know, so you don't have any of the absurdities like, uh, you know, sending rhinos to extinction just so that some... Um, horny people in certain parts of the world think that they've got an aphrodisiac. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and the same with tigers and uh, yeah. a, a whole near beast. You know, the plight of the pangolin. 
um, because of uh, traditional Chinese medicine. It's just, it's a, it's a slur against humanity. Uh, and I don't think that there is a similar problem for crocodiles. I don't think that they're included in, uh, in uh, any traditional uh, medicines. Um, so, yeah, and, and, and hopefully that will remain the case. But, you know, uh, my, my fear is that uh, just simply a discussion like this will send some crank off saying, oh, there's, there's a creature we haven't exploited yet. <laughs> we took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, consciousness, philosophy, UFOs, ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose, it kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audiobook. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand yeah. and probably won't understand. That's our yeah. whole show. <laughs> so join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. So I, I don't want to be pedantic, but just because it's one of those things that as a skeptic I looked into, the it, my understanding is that the uh, the rhino horn thing is more, the, they're, they're having more problems because people are using it as a cancer cure than as an aphrodisiac, but, which is also... Uh, as completely ineffective, by the way. Um, but, yeah. uh, but but the crocodiles do have the advantage of most of them are not endangered, right? I mean, there's only a few species that are in trouble, right? Well, I think uh, the last statistics I saw was that there are 23 living species of crocodilians, and of mm-hmm. those, uh, something like 14 are endangered or, uh, or threatened. Wow. So, uh, yeah. There are some species that are doing okay. The freshwater and saltwater crocodiles in Australia, the alligator, uh, the the Mississippi alligator uh, is is doing fine. But the Chinese alligator is in in deadly peril. Uh, The gharial is in deadly deadly peril. Um, So, uh, you know, there there are species that we do need to pay attention to uh, their conservation. Uh, And particularly things like the the Chinese alligator and the gharial in India um, they're living in places that are highly populated, highly polluted. Uh, their environment is severely threatened. Uh, and the future of those species is, uh, is, is very much in question. Yeah, that's problematic for sure. Mm-hmm. Have you any idea of the, mm-hmm. the population of crocodiles around today? Well, it depends on, on which crocodile you're talking about. Um, because, uh, as I said a moment ago, you know, um, Species like the the, the uh, salty, which is more correctly referred to as the Asian Pacific crocodile, because it's spread 
from Australia right the way up into Southeast Asia and across the Pacific. It's been found as far across the Pacific as Fiji. Um, uh, you know, there's no problems with its populations. There's that they, they it would number in the hundreds of thousands uh, of, of individuals. Uh, but then things like the gharial, uh, the Chinese alligator, uh, you know, you're probably looking at um, less than a few thousand individuals in the wild. Wow. You, so you mentioned that, that the saltwater crocodiles, they mean, uh, it seems like they are well equipped. First of all, they get pretty big and they can travel pretty far. But do we know how far they can travel? Have there been any studies on... Uh, like radio studies for how far they actually get out? Yeah, look, that's a a really interesting question because uh, the saltwater crocodile in particular seems to be at the heart of uh, a dispersal around the world that we can trace back over about the last two million years. Uh, All members of the genus Crocodilus, uh, and I think there's 13 or 14 different species um, they uh, seem to have come from uh, the saltwater crocodile uh, or a similar ancestor spreading around the uh, the equator of the Earth and swimming some quite huge distances. Uh, and as it goes it, and settles in various areas, then you get new species. Now, as I said, they have found uh, saltwater crocodiles uh, in Fiji, uh, that appear to have swam from the closest breeding populations would be Australia. So you're talking about a couple of thousand kilometres. Wow! Uh, that, 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 that they've traversed. Uh, there are records of saltwater crocodiles at sea, um, hundreds of kilometres from land. No problem. They're just swimming along, having a good old time. Um, they have done some radio tracking of various saltwater crocodiles, and they do. Some of them move around a heck of a lot. Uh, we're talking, you know, moving two, three, four hundred kilometers uh, within a month. Um, can they sleep? The- can they sleep while they're floating or something? How do they manage that? That's astonishing. I have no idea. Uh, what's really astonishing is their ability to handle the salt in the salt water. And they do that by uh, they've got specialized salt glands, salt excreting glands in their tongue. So, and when you think about it, that's probably a good place to get rid of salt because if you're swimming along, you've got a salt buildup, it's excreted into your mouth. All you've got to do at sea is open your mouth and that hypersaline water is then washed out of your mouth, ready for the next, uh, next go round. Um, so that's uh, all pretty remarkable uh, adaptation to yeah, salt is. water. Yeah. Wow. So I read a, a strange myth online uh, quite recently, and it's, it claims that uh, uh, crocodiles regurgitate their food because they don't have anuses. Is that true? <laughs> 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 oh, God, you have far too much time on your hands. <laughs> oh, no, they, they, they have a superb anus. Um, and... and like a lot of crocodile, uh, like a lot of reptiles, uh, the the anus is actually slightly internal and opens out into a single hole called the cloaca, uh, which is also the hole through which the genitals and the eggs 
uh, can exude through. So uh, no, they 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 definitely have an anus. I don't. I haven't heard of any decent records of crocodiles actually regurgitating their food to have a second go at it the way that a ruminant uh, like cows and and uh, and that uh, bring up their food and chew the cud. So no, I I I, I don't think the, the crocodiles do that. But rest assured, they have a perfectly good anus. Uh, I've seen it. I, oh, that's yeah, a relief. <laughs> I mean, if, yeah, I think the uh, Steve Irwin liked to stick his thumb into it, right, to uh, help uh, figure out whether they're male or female, right? Steve Irwin liked to do a lot of strange things. <laughs> <laughs> I don't well, know if he liked it, but he, he did it. Right? <laughs> that's a good lead into another question I have. Uh, I went to uh, Australia Zoo, Steve Irwin's zoo in Biwar in uh, the Sunshine yeah. Coast a few years ago. And uh, there was a crocodile show. They had a massive crocodile. I can't remember his name, um, but he was doing a performance and uh, I took lots of photographs and afterwards found that this massive crocodile only had about four teeth. Yep. So I, I don't know what the situation was there, but I'm just wondering if a crocodile with so few teeth could still pose a danger to people. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, um Crocodiles uh, and that whole group of, of reptiles that includes the dinosaurs, uh, flying reptiles, and a few other groups, they have a, uh, a, se a sequence of tooth replacement. They continually replace their teeth throughout life. And as they get older, that system tends to slow down. It's a really interesting pattern because essentially um, the tooth replacement sequence divides the tooth row up into odd and even numbered teeth and you have a cycle of replacement in the odd teeth that is 180 degrees offset to the cycle of replacement in the even numbered teeth nice. so that you never get two, you never get two teeth side by side falling out at the same time uh but but when you're talking about a creature with 80 odd teeth in its mouth uh essentially every time it takes a bite it will lose a tooth uh, and uh, in when you're dealing with fossil deposits where the crocodiles are present, the most common fossil you'll find are the, uh, the, the teeth because they just are always falling out. They're always being replaced. And as I said, as they get older, that uh, rate of tooth replacement tends to slow down so that they tend to have less teeth in their mouth. Um, but a big crocodile, even if it's lost all of its teeth, and I've can't recall a living crocodile that's lost all of its teeth but even if it were to lose all of its teeth the stunning effect of those jaws coming together would still be enough to incapacitate most creatures uh you're talking about a bite force in um in crocodiles that is equivalent it's just a little bit less than tyrannosaurus rex so you're talking about 11 tons per square inch bite force. So if you can imagine it's coming together with uh, uh, the weight of, what, three, three and a half cars, uh, sorry, automobiles, uh, on every square inch that it's coming down on. That's, wow. that's going to make a mess. The difference between having teeth and not having teeth when you're talking about that kind of bite force is instead of uh, peppering you full of holes, it's going to just mash you to a pulp. Wow. Got it. 
That's amazing. <laughs> it is. It's incredible. Um, I so we could talk about these uh, the size of these creatures. I you you've studied ancient crocodiles or crocodilians, I guess. I, yeah. I a few years ago, it was right around two thousand one, I guess. Uh, they had discovered Sarcosuchus, what they called super croc. Yeah, and um, I went to the mall and they well, had actually a, Sarcosuchus had been uh, discovered. Go ahead. Sorry, I, 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 I'll, I'll let you rewind and get your question out. Sorry. That's okay, but I was going to say, I, I knew it had been discovered earlier. They had time to uh, put together a Net Geo uh, special, and they took a tour with the scale model of the creature, and it came to the mall near my house, and I, I took my uh, family over, and I, got, I had a fun picture of like holding my son in the mouth of this amazing... This thing could have eaten me, you know, so my son fit right in the mouth. Uh, made a, a fun photo. But... Uh, it was just such a big animal, and I was wondering, is that still the biggest croc that's been found, or have they found bigger things? Or I mean, we're talking about something that was longer than, well, I believe, wasn't it longer than 10 meters? Yeah, look, there's a few things to unpack there. Uh, yeah. My favorite story about Sarcosuchus is that uh, it was actually first found by a German paleontologist named Struma uh, in Egypt in the... Uh, a, at 1908, I think it was, you know, before the First World War. And one of the problems that we've had with Sarcosuchus up until the work of Paul Serino in the late 1980s, early 1990s, was that all the specimens of Sarcosuchus were destroyed in the Second World War when uh, the Allies bombed uh, the various uh, cities of, uh, of Germany one of the casualties was the the specimens of uh, of Sarcosuchus. So then Paul Serino uh, went and did some more work with National Geographic uh, and rediscovered a number of those sites and a number of specimens of Sarcosuchus, including complete skeletons. And I think they were getting up to like 14 and a half, 15 metres in length, um, which does put it up in the range of the largest crocodilians of all time. Um, however, uh, while you and your son would comfortably fit into the mouth of Sarcosuchus, you'll notice that it was one of these thin snouted crocodiles, which tells us that it wasn't, uh, eating dinosaurs and, and, uh, those sorts of things. It was a fish eater. Uh, and there are other lines of evidence that tells so it, us that unless we're a Pisces, we're fine. But <laughs> 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 oh God! You had to bring astrology into it, didn't you? Um, but, Someone uh, had to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's something fishy about that. Anyway, um, uh, so uh, Sarcosuchus um, probably wouldn't have taken you and your son for 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 dinner, even though it could open its mouth wide enough. It was a fish eater. Wow. Um, but more impressive is a creature that's slightly bigger than that called Dinosuchus, and that's found in Texas and in western USA uh, at the end of the age of the dinosaurs. It's found in the same deposits that you find Tyrannosaurus, and Dinosuchus would have had no trouble taking down an adult Tyrannosaurus for breakfast. We're talking about 15 metres of crocodile, and we're talking about an ambush predator, one of these broad-snouted crocodiles it was just waiting there at the water's edge for Tyrannosaurus to come in for its uh, morning drink, and bang, it would have got him. Wow. So that's, you know, a far more impressive beast. I've actually held 
one of the jaws, one side of the jaw of of, um, Dinosuchus in Austin, Texas, in a museum there, that one side of its jaw is two meters long. Wow. (laughs) Amazing. That is amazing. We've had Paul Hogan in Crocodile Dundee and uh, Steve Irwin as the crocodile hunter. Why Mm -hmm. is it that people seem to have such a fascination with crocodiles? Ah, well... You know, you've, you're talking about a big prehistoric-looking creature that eats people. Um, why wouldn't you be fascinated? Uh, you know, uh, that's the, what it but essentially comes down to. And, you know, it, it's not until you actually do get up close and personal uh, with a l- large live crocodilian that you realise that not only is it a primeval-feeling kind of beast, but that it has one mission in life, and that is to kill you. Um, I uh, did a story on catalysts where we went out to uh, to uh, capture and tag satellite tags and crocodiles, and the idea was that we would go out and get a couple of crocs about 1.8 meters long, uh, and we put the tags on those, and um, and uh, everything would be hunky dory. Uh, when we went out and checked the traps, we'd actually caught something that was four and a half meters long, weighing in at just under half a ton. Wow! And it was, it was not happy. <laughs> I, uh, you know, um, and, and standing next to that creature, or, or later on when we ha- actually had to um, sit on the thing while they drilled holes in the back of its neck to put the satellite tracks on, I can assure you, it's moments like that that you find out that adrenaline is brown. It was absolutely <laughs> terrifying. But oh. the, the, the moment that most stands out to me, while it was still in the trap, now this trap is, you know, a heavy gauge, a steel trap that, the, that even half a ton of crocodile can't bust out of. Um, while it was in the trap, I could get, you know, up close and personal and look directly into its eye. And I was looking at a distance of less than a meter into this guy's eye, and it was staying perfectly still. Mm. And you, it, it, that eye was looking back at me, and it was like the eye of Sauron. You know, it's got that <laughs> vertical. And it, it just looked to be evil. But the, mm. the thing that absolutely terrified me was as long as I was looking at it, it stayed dead still, didn't want to do a thing. As soon as I turned my head away, it went for me. Wow. And it almost knocked the trap over in its, you know, and we're talking about a a trap that weighs over a ton in weight. It almost knocked the trap over in its effort to get to me. That thing was just looking for the opportunity to strike and kill me. And, um, yeah, so why are we fascinated with them? (laughs) I think think it's actually healthy to be fascinated with something that might kill you. It could Mm -hmm. save your life. Yeah. It gives you a little humility, right? <laughs> it gives you wow. a lot of humility as well as a change of underpants. Yeah. I, 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 the, the, the most uh, scariest reptile encounter I've had has been with like a 25-pound snapping turtle. Uh, mm. And they're pretty scary. I mean, they, they can take a chunk out of you just as easily as I can take a chunk out of, a, of an ice cream scoop, you know. Uh, yeah. It, it, but... Uh, trying to rescue some of those that occasionally get stranded here and there in the state. My my kids, uh, they'll sit in the car and cheer me on, but you know they don't want to participate. You know, <laughs> and I, I can't even imagine with an alligator. But 
I, mm. it, it got, recently, I, I, I'm going to tie this. I have a movie question for you. So we, we let you know about this ahead of time. But uh, we've we've taken the time in our show to talk about monster movies and uh, movies that, uh, you know, based on a true story or could this really happen, that sort of thing. And I thought it would be fun to talk about the movie Rampage, which is coming out. It's based on a video game. And uh, they've got a giant uh, ape, but we've already covered giant apes on the show. And they've got a giant wolf, but we've already covered giant wolves on the show. But they also have a giant crocodile. And uh, so I sent you a copy of that footage, and I just wanted to see, uh, you know, is something like that possible, Paul? Is that is that something that people should be worried about? <laughs> My advice to you is both sex and travel. Um, <laughs> you know, when, I, when I watched that clip... You know, as a biologist, the first thing is you can't make animals that size and still have them walking around mm, because mm, you mm. cannot make bones strong enough. You know, here in Australia, we have footprints of the largest creatures that ever walked the, the planet Earth. Um, in Western Australia, we've got footprints that are 1.7 meters in diameter. Uh, they're of sauropod dinosaurs. And when you scale it up, you're talking about something that's 35 or 40 meters long, and you're talking about something that's weighing in around about 90 ton. Now, you cannot make a bigger creature and still have it stand up. You cannot make bones strong enough to do it. So that's my first critique of that. Um, so, uh, I mean, the creature in Rampage, the crocodile in Rampage, how big was that? That had to be 110 meters long or something. Something stupid. It was. Hey, I noticed ridiculous. that they, whatever happened to it, it also gave it gills. Did you notice that? I thought that was an interesting change. <laughs> it was a complete travesty of reality. Um, um, with with respect to how big do the biggest crocodiles get today? Um, the 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 biggest authenticated uh, record. It's a, almost a tie between a gharial and a saltwater crocodile coming in at something like 9.3 metres long. Um, but there are these wonderful uh, unsubstantiated records um, of creatures a bit bigger than that. There was a record by James Cook when he was uh, on the Endeavour going up the east coast of Australia that a crocodile was swimming alongside the Endeavour and they measured it off against the gunnels, and it measured 32 feet long. So that puts it at around about 10 meters in length. Wow. But allowing for parallax error, you know, you cannot substantiate that claim. There's also claims uh, up in the Gulf country of, um, of Queensland, uh, up around Floraville, of a crocodile there that has been seen on a couple of occasions uh, laying across a road crossing and uh, you know the, the the heads on one uh, overhangs the the crossing on one side, the tail overhangs the crossing on the other side. You can measure the crossing off, and that comes in at just over eight and a half meters wide. And there's at least another meter and a half of crocodile hanging off either end. So you're talking about something in excess of ten meters long, but you can't substantiate those claims because you know there's just too much slop in it. So. We can say that say, there safely that among modern crocodiles, where we, you know, there's, you, they can get up to over ten, uh, nine meters in length. They may get uh, uh, over ten meters in length. I don't think that they're going to get much bigger than that. 
Wow. And they're probably you know. not, not going to get gills. Yeah. <laughs> no. I don't know why there's no, gills. No, they are get... certainly as, as for the wolf flying, oh, for Pete's sake. <laughs> and did you notice how muscular the rock was? None of this is very realistic. <laughs> Something more intelligent to do with your time than watch that crap. Okay. Not no. I. <laughs> this was this was in preparation for this conversation. <laughs> I I'm actually I'll be honest. I it doesn't look very scientifically accurate. I mean, not like all the other video game based movies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I I've got kids though, so I'll be going to see it. So catch me at the cinemas next mm-hmm. week or whenever it comes out. It's yeah, coming out soon. So that sounds like the same excuse that my dad had when he took us to see the um, what was it? Um, uh, the Wizard of Oz. It wasn't that we wanted to see it; it was the fact that he missed it when he was a kid. So we got dragged along to it. So it, it sounds like you <laughs> yeah, you vicariously through your kids here. That's right. They're yeah, just an excuse. You've got him pegged. <laughs> 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 oh, so do you have any more prop questions, Blake, or should we do the final uh, few? Do you want to comment at all about uh, alligators in the sewers while we're here? I mean, since that's an urban legend we hear a lot. Yeah, I, I uh, it, it, it is an urban legend that I've heard uh, on numerous occasions, and you, you doubt the veracity of it. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know that. Uh, uh, alligators have actually been found in the sewers of New York. Uh, and of course, that was the basis for the movie uh, Lake Placid, was the idea that people had pet crocodiles that they let loose when they uh, got too big and they got out of control. Um, Lake, Lake Placid, by the way, is another one of my pet hate movies. They got the teeth all wrong on the crocodiles. Mm. Um, <laughs> Uh, and uh, also they dramatically overestimated the size that they could get to. Um, but, you know, while I'm saying that I doubt the whole idea of people, you know, flush an alligator down the toilet and it pops up uh, you know, several years later as a monster in the sewers, there was an interesting case in reported in the Daily Mail, which is always a wonderful source of accurate material. Bastion, uh, bastion of week. journalism, right? <laughs> yeah. But it was it came from Manchester in England, and a woman on her daily walk uh, around the suburbs of Manchester in England, she took photographs of uh, the remains of a crocodile that looks like it would have been probably a metre and a half, two metres long when it was alive. Uh, and... There's no explanation as to why you've got a um, a, a one and a half, two meter long crocodile living comfortably in the uh, in the suburbs of Manchester. So there's a bit of a mystery there. Yeah, that is peculiar. We love mm. we love any... we love misplaced creatures. That's a that's a fun topic. Mm. Yeah. Oh, are there yeah. any urban legends like that in Australia? Because I don't think I've heard of any. Around crocodiles, uh, let me see. Uh, I mean, why have, if you have them in every river, why have them in the sewers? There's no need for them. That's true. Well, yeah, and uh, they're living in places where mostly there aren't any sewers to live in anyway. And, um, and to be fair, the giant spiders get them, right? That's uh... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no crocs around here. The sharks sorted them out, yeah. <laughs> 
Well, Paul, a more general question. You've spent many years as a science communicator. So with all of the misinformation that's out there, do you find it's difficult to teach science to the general public? Uh, look, my main beef with uh, modern science communication is that we're talking about the wrong stuff. You know, for too long, uh, since the 1950s, we've been thinking that what we need to talk about is the inspiring science, how wonderful it is that we know on the other side of the cosmos there's a black hole that's ten times bigger than any other black hole we've seen, uh, you know, or what it's like on the surface of Mars or whatever. And I find this such a distraction from what we should be talking about, and that is the fact that we're screwing the planet. And if we don't do something about it, we are going to die. It's as simple as that. Uh, and yet, you, there's this whole... It, it looks like... Uh, science communication is all about the, the little monkey puppet on the right hand to keep everybody amused while mm. and ignoring the fact that the left hand's got a dagger and it's pointed right at your throat. I would like to see science communication focus more on relevant science, relevant to our existence on this planet, rather than this beguiling nonsense about inspiring science which I don't think is serving us uh, particularly well. When it comes to the propagation of misinformation, yeah, look, that is a problem uh, in science communication, particularly uh, around you know relevant questions uh, to our survival on this planet. So when you get misinformation about climate science, about population science, about energy science, about resource use science, misinformation about genetically modified organisms and that sort of thing, even misinformation around vaccines, uh, you know, that's not helping at all. But, um, but as, a, as a genre, uh, I don't think that uh, science communicators are doing themselves a big favour by trying to inspire us when really what we need to know is information that's relevant to us. That's tough. Because uh, it seems like here in America, at least, there's, a, a, I guess, in the general public, a good portion of the population has a disdain for fact lately. It, it seems like the mm. idea that, that you could be an expert and know something because of deep research really doesn't have as much cachet as it used to. Or, or it seems like it doesn't anyway. Uh, yeah. Is, is, is that true globally? Or are you seeing that in Australia? Not, not wishing to be disparaging of your beloved president, but uh, wasn't it wasn't it the dear one who said uh, who's brought on the very Trump effect, where there there is a, uh, a perpetuation of lack of trust in authority, lack of trust in in knowledge. Um, if if you are an authority on a subject, if you've studied the subject, then that actually doesn't mean anything compared to someone who's just gone on the internet and made stuff up. So, uh, you know, uh, yes, it, it, it does seem to be a phenomenon that is rampant in the United States at the moment. Uh, I think we're seeing something similar here, um, particularly coming from the right wing of politics, which doesn't really want to face up to uh, a lot of scientific truths about the predicament that we're in at the moment because it's not in their economic interests. Um, uh, you're not seeing quite the same effect in places like Europe, uh, although, you know, there is 
still an element of uh, various European countries that uh, uh, aren't interested in the facts of the situation. They're more interested in the ideology that they want to put forward. Well, I, I don't want to stretch the conversation out into another hour, which I could easily do. But mm-hmm. <laughs> but that that is uh, that that whole thing about this this uh, disregard for uh, for like I guess the methodology of science as a way to vet whether things are true or not. I, I don't know what to make of that. I, I I like I don't see the politics of America as being a cause so much as a symptom, at least that's my feel, that it felt like it was sort of trending that way because of a convergence of technology and and other things. But, I mean, it certainly has a political aspect to it. But it, it also seems to have a, a like, there's, uh, I, I well, maybe that's not, I think I've lost my thread there somewhere. But I, I just don't yeah. know what to do about it. I, I, I feel like... I, I can see that it's happening. I, I feel like you know, respecting science and and facts and evidence and peer review and and fact checking and critical thinking. All these things are tremendously important for pushing humanity forward slowly, incrementally towards progress. Yeah. Yet, yeah. yet it's so much easier to slide back to how you feel. Yeah, uh, I, I I I take your point around uh, politics. Isn't so much a causal agent in this. It's more a, that it, it's been taken up by a tool in politics. Really, what we're seeing is wh- wh- where it comes from, this distrust for science, this distrust for knowledge, is when uh, when the fruits of knowledge, when the fruits of science come out in contest to your ideology. Where you know, if you are a born again Christian, and uh, the the facts of evolution contradict your worldview, then there's no way on earth you're going to accept reality, because you, you're under you, you would be undermining your whole worldview. Um, now that type of thinking has now bled out into economic forums, so that if uh, the finding of science around climate change and around overpopulation, uh, around e- uh, resource exploitation, if they run contrary to your economic model of how to conduct business, then that's why you're going to reject the, the evidence. That's why you're going to reject, reject the reality. Because if you actually then have to take that on board, your whole worldview has come undone. You're going to have to rebuild your whole business model in order to be able to move forward. And uh, that is a challenge that not many people are willing to take on. I'll tell you one thing about this conversation. We've we've already covered <laughs> sex, religion, and politics. So if we could somehow squeeze <laughs> drugs and free will into this conversation, I believe we'd have the most controversial episode <laughs> of our show ever. <laughs> have, you, have you ever snorted crocodile bone? Oh, my God, oh. no. Is it awesome? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can deal with those topics in uh, asking Paul his favorite monster. We'll have no choice because free will is a lie, Karen. Free will is a lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my favorite monster. Uh, yeah, let's let let's on, end on a controversial note. Donald Trump. What? Uh, uh, Donald Trump is my favorite monster uh, because he's real. He's stupid. And he adds the potential to actually do a hell of a lot of damage in the real world. 
<laughs> I have never we have discussed human monsters before. <laughs> this is so yeah. funny. <laughs> I've never had anything this political on my show before. This is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, we'll put your email address in the episode if people want to contact you. <laughs> <laughs> no pictures. If you want to get into a Twitter war with me, I eat trolls for breakfast. <laughs> At Fossil Crops, bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic alright uh, th- thank you so much for talking with us this was so much fun yeah, it's so good to catch up with <laughs> you again a pleasure. Yeah, look, it would be my pleasure I've had a lot of fun Monster Talk you've been listening to Monster Talk the science show about monsters I'm Blake Smith and I'm Karen Stolzner today you heard an interview with Associate Professor Paul Willis as he informed us about giant crocodiles I hope you found this discussion as entertaining as I did. You can find links to Paul's work in our show notes at monstertalk.org, or you can follow him on Twitter at fossilcrocs, that's C-R-O-X. There are so many fascinating aspects to crocodiles and gators that we didn't even get into. Things like their ability to slow down their heart rate and stay submerged, their weird and impressive mating vocalizations, the way that in some species the temperature of the eggs determines gender development, and so on. They are fascinating creatures, and I hope this interview will encourage you to learn even more about them. Monster Talks, an official podcast of Skeptic Magazine. The views expressed in this show are those of myself and my guests, respectively, and do not necessarily reflect the views of Skeptic Magazine or the Skeptic Society. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Talk. Each episode, we strive to bring you the best in monster-related content with a focus on bringing scientific skepticism into the conversation. If you enjoy Monster Talk, we now have a variety of ways to support the show, all with convenient links at monstertalk.org forward slash support. That's monstertalk.org forward slash support. There we have links to our Patreon pages as well as the donation button. A great way to support the show is to buy us books from our Amazon Monster Talk wish list, which directly helps us with our research. We love used books very much, so don't feel compelled to buy new ones. And we love Kindle, and we can share our digital library with each other. Finally, without spending any money at all, you can support us by leaving a positive review at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Positive reviews help keep us visible in iTunes, which is a great way to help us find new listeners. And please, share our show on your favorite social media platforms. Monster Talk theme music is by Pete Stealing Monkeys. And as always, thank you for listening. that you can now subscribe to Skeptic Magazine digitally? Just grab our free Skeptic Magazine app, currently compatible with iOS, Android, PC, Mac, Kindle Fire, Kindle Fire HD, and BlackBerry Playbook. Head over to skeptic.com magazine app to find out more and download more of your favorite Skeptic content. Hungry crocodiles ate my little bag. All my money is inside the crocodile. This is an emergency announcement. 
Dangerous crocodile is loose in the area. Return to your homes and stay in.